Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton. Thank you for joining us again today. And this is a real treat because I've had these guys on individually on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Now we're going to go three wide. And you know what that means. That's a sports term. We're going to go three wide. So there's going to be a lot of sports in this conversation, a heavy dose of faith, and a lot of just sharing with these two great men that, that I have had the pleasure of calling friends, Chris and Jason Romano. And I use Chris first because he is the eldest, Jason. Of, of the three Romano brothers, but Jason Romano is the host of the Sports Spectrum podcast that you can find online. Chris is a pastor of a church in New York, getting ready to transition to Florida, also the president of Vision Bible College. And so again, you can find both these men on social media. They'll tell you where you can connect with them. You're going to want to do that after you hear this conversation with Chris and Jason Romano on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Guys, good morning. <laughs> good morning, Good morning, Brian. I got to tell you, um, it, makes me, it, it brings sweet music to my ears that you think Chris Romano is my older brother because he's actually two and a half. That's years. right. I forgot about that, man. I but totally blew that intro, it's, man. It's we have to start again. Yeah. Looks, it's, no, we don't have to start again. It's pretty clear who looks older and who looks younger. Yeah, yeah, I appreciate yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> well, you know, the thing about it is, Jay, you you and I are, are pretty similar because we had one child and we just, we said, okay, Lord, thank you for the one. Chris is Chris has got a quiver. Chris has got his own, you know, football. He, he's got half a football team and, and a starting five of a basketball team. So yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Five. Yeah. You took five. on, you, you took on the, the, the scripture, be fruitful and multiply. You took that on as a personal <laughs> challenge, didn't you? I did. I did. <laughs> yes, I did. <laughs> he married a woman who, who comes from a family of like a hundred people with yeah. like two generations. I mean, it's just they have all they do is have kids, apparently. Yeah. yeah they, pop right. they populate our small town in Ravina pretty much. <laughs> so. That's right. Yeah, exactly. Well, you, you know, you, you, I guess you decided, well, I, I've just got to, you know, this, I've got to take this on myself. So, yeah, it's, I, I, I get it, man. I totally get it. You're just trying to be obedient to the word of God. That's exactly what you just tell people. And I'm just trying to be obedient, you know? That's it, man. That's it. Yep. Brian, I got to tell you, this is really awesome that we're doing this because this is the first time that Chris and I have ever done an interview or a, on a podcast together like this. Together, so yeah, I'm yeah. really excited because, yeah. you know, obviously, <laughs> I I think I'm the person that besides mom and uh, that Chris and my dad that Chris has known the longest. But we've never done we've done a lot of things together. We've never been asked to do an interview together on a show. So this is pretty cool. This is pretty neat for us. Well, it Jay, yeah, you've I'm been excited. on twice. Yeah, Jason's been on twice. Um, once, you know, Jason so graciously was an endorser of my book, People Buy From People. And we did that podcast a few weeks back. And, and Jason was, you know, Jason, you supported me from the get-go on this podcast. And I knew when, when, when you reached out and said, you've got to have Chris on. And Chris and I just had a tremendous conversation. When Chris and I wrapped that up, I said, we got to do something, the three of us together. I love it. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah, thank you for for choosing this podcast to, to be the first time that you guys have done something together. So let's talk about, let, let's start here with, with sports and, and things like that. You guys have both shared 
on the Intentional Encourager podcast, your love of sports, probably from the womb, a lot like me. I mean, my dad was very sports-minded. I didn't hunt and fish because that's what a lot of people in my state do and in my region do. But, man, anything with a ball, I was in on and things like that. So take me through, Chris, I'll start with you. What's your earliest sports memory that you can really say, man, I, I remember this so clearly from, from my childhood? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, maybe it's the memory I choose to remember, um, <laughs> which would have been <laughs> which would have been the uh, 1981 NFC championship game um where the eagles defeated the uh the cowboys to get to the super bowl um we were living in oak brook manor jay i believe at that time uh, which is in ravina yeah um and state new york we we kind of flopped back and forth between my mother's uh house my mom and dad divorced when i was three so 79 um so we were back and forth from from you know my mom's house to my dad who lived in a duplex with my grandparents um and sports was always on the television uh, at my grandparents house uh, or in my father's uh, apartment so um to say what's the earliest memory I, I think it'd probably be as a sporting event it would be that uh but we were always outside we were always playing um you know long before we could sign up for little league or pop warner or you know youth basketball leagues and things like that we were always playing so, uh, but I think it was that game that I can remember at least uh, uh, initially. Jay, did, do you always, and Chris and I talked about this in the podcast where, where we were talking about being aligned, you know, where, where my dad and I liked the same teams, you know, we were, we were Reds and Bengals fans. I've got my Reds mug this morning that I'm, I'm drinking out of. Yeah. I, I was kind of conditioned to like, okay, my dad liked it. My son's not like that. Like we have a room in our house that we painted orange and black and, and put Bengals things around. And my son decided after the Green Bay Packers beat the Pittsburgh Steelers in the Super Bowl about 11 or 12 years ago, he was going to be a Green Bay Packers fan. And this year they play in Cincinnati. So that's going to be a little bit of an angst-filled yeah. moment between father and son on my end. But, Jason, I want to go here for just a second. What do you remember? What's your, what's your earliest sports memory? around either being with your dad or being with Chris or, or what, what have you, what, what sports memory comes to mind for you? Well, there's, there's a few because I was a little older than Chris and, and certainly I go back to probably, I, there's a picture I have that I love to just post on social media every so often of me wearing a yeah, Roger yeah, yeah. Staubach Jersey. And I got a little Roger Staubach figurine for my sixth birthday in September of 1979 so clearly I was a big sports fan at that point. If I'm wearing a Jersey, I don't really remember a whole lot from that year. Like I can't pick a game. I do remember that Super Bowl was the Steelers and the, and the Rams and Vince Ferragamo was a quarterback for the Rams. And I'm sure you remember this, Chris, like that name stood out. Like I oh, think yeah. because he was Italian and my grandfather and my dad, both Italian men, like fell in love and wanted to see the steel curtain lose. So I remember Vince Ferragamo's name, weirdly enough, the Rams quarterback yeah. as a little kid. But the game that I remember was the same game, ironically, that Chris is referring to, uh, which is that 1981 NFC or 1980, I guess, NFC championship yeah, game 80. played yeah. in January of 81 when the Eagles beat the Cowboys 20 to seven. And I just remember crying, like being a little kid and crying that my team had lost, uh, 
I am a Cowboys fan. Chris is an Eagles fan, um, which we can get into the, the dynamics of that um, <laughs> if you want, uh, and how that's been going on for the last forty oh, years. Oh, sure. You know, I'm down. I'm down for a good sibling fight this morning. On the, uh, on no, the, yeah, no, no, I, no, I don't want to get I'm into messing. that. But I'm I'll messing. tell you, you asked about the following in your parents' footsteps or liking the team. Yeah. Our house is a complete mess of of sports fans uh fandom because we very early i chose i still my dad still makes fun of us that i chose the cowboys because i saw them in 77 or 78 they were on all the time as a kid the giants are my dad's team and yes you're probably doing the math as you listen to this people that my dad's a giants fan and chris is an eagles fan and i'm a cowboys fan so we're all rivals fans of the rival teams except for your for. younger brother damien jason because we we, we yeah. were talking about that he like me is a long-suffering detroit lions fan and we were talking about how my Bengals yeah. and his detroit lions still hold the longest active playoff drought i mean they've been to the playoffs just have won anything yeah, he was oh, yeah. probably as a little kid, he was a Giants fan. I think he aligned with he was. with our yeah. dad for the most part. And then he discovered he Barry, Barry Sanders and he just defected, I guess. But we never, I don't, it wasn't like an intentional, I hate your team and I don't want to root for them type of thing. We just saw other teams and thought, that's a good team to root for. And literally every single team that my brothers and I root for are all different in every sport. None of us align. Now, Chris had, like you said, a population of kids in his house, and somehow he's gotten them all to align for the most part to root for the teams that he roots for. Uh, I failed at that with my daughter, um, at least in football. Baseball, we like the same team. We're both Mets fans. But I don't know. I, I wish there's often times where I wish like our whole family, you know, the whole pack of 10 or 12, you know, three brothers and all of our kids all like the same teams. And, and would all wear the same jerseys. There's kind of a, a unique unity in that, but we just all went our own ways. And uh, I'm glad that we've never left that though. When I think about like sports fans who in their thirties, like I'm just going to root for a new team because I live in a different city. It's like, yeah, no, we're sticking with the teams that we like since we were three or four years old. When you guys yeah. get together, when you guys get together and, and there's that, let, let's say, let's say it's, it's Thanksgiving. And let's say that particular year, the Cowboys and the Eagles play each other, you know, things like that. <laughs> That's always been a Thanksgiving wish of mine that my Bengals would play on Thanksgiving. The NFL just never allows it for Maybe some someday. reason. Joe yeah, Burrow will get a will get a Thanksgiving finger, shot. One fingers year, crossed. Yeah, Cowboys Bengals on Thanksgiving. That'd be that'd be pretty <laughs> sweet. But but no, do, do you guys? What's it like when you guys get together and watch a sporting event, especially when your teams are playing each other? Is it is it just like you know, um, hey, bro, I, I love you, but for the next three hours, man, it, it may get a little tense here at times. Are you guys, because you guys, you know, growing up playing sports and things like that, obviously have competitiveness in your family. What's it like when you guys watch games together? Chris, you go so, first there. Yeah, so I'll, I'll take this one. We we tend to try to avoid it, um, to be honest yeah. with you. If our True. teams are playing each other, because we, we love each other, first and foremost, and at the same time, we are passionate, passionate fans that, you know, you want to enjoy the game. So from our perspective, um, if the Eagles and Cowboys are playing against each other, particularly in a meaningful game, I mean, really in any game, but in a meaningful game, um, you know, you want to try to enjoy that moment rooting for your team without like making the other one, you know, feel like, you know, like a loser. So, um, 
I, we, we, we tend to avoid it. There have been a few times when we have actually connected. Um, there's a few highlights that, that I can recall. Um, one was the Chris Boniel game at your apartment, Jay. That would have been uh, the, 97. A, yeah. a, a money night game. Yep. Yep. Um, that game. And then, um, let's see, it was the, was it the 2014 or 15 Thanksgiving? 14. Yeah. Thanksgiving. Um, where the Eagles just shellacked Dallas in Dallas. Destroyed. That us. was the, yeah, that was the end of, or near the end of the Chip Kelly run. Um, and then um, we watched uh, the 2019. No, actually, that was Eagles Giants. You were there, though. Uh, we watched a game for- at my house. Remember a Sunday night around Christmas when the Eagles and Cowboys were playing for the NFC Championship game and Dallas lost Tony Romo. He he hurt his back and he couldn't play. And it was Kyle Orton, I think, that it was, played. That was 2013. Yeah. 13, the year before. First year. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we watched, surprisingly enough, we watched those games uh, together. But I think it was because it was Christmas. It was because it was Thanksgiving. If it was a random, you know, October game. Uh, I'm not intentionally taking the drive to Chris's house to watch the Cowboys and Eagles with him because I want to enjoy the game uh, if we win, and I want to en- and and I no. want to just turn it off if we lose. And, and and by the way, we're strictly talking about football here. I don't think you and I care if it's the Pirates and the Mets, you know. And it, even if it was in a playoff game and we watched it together, I think we would because our our devotion for other sports is oh, not as deep as it is or for the game of football. Well, and and that goes to show you, Jason, where the NFL has gone. So let's go here for just a second. The NFL has has dominated the sports landscape. It has really taken over America because you and I, you, the three of us were talking before we started recording. As as we record this, yeah, this week is the NFL draft. Everybody's talking about the NFL draft. If there would be a blockbuster trade that would go down today, then that would dominate ESPN.com. It would dominate the sports talk shows. That's how dominant the NFL is in the landscape of, of American sports. It just, it trumps everything. And so, yeah, I can understand why, you know, a pirate Met game, even in the playoffs, would not be as impactful as a, as a playoff game, an NFC championship game between the Cowboys and Eagles. And so, <laughs> Jason, I, got, I, wanna, I want you to oh play on. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. If that, if that ever happens again, by the way, <laughs> I might have to go watch it with him, though. There, there's a, see, that's a different type of game. Well, uh, okay. So, so I want you to put on your, your sports hat for a minute. You spent a lot of years at ESPN. I, I want you to and, – yeah. and, Chris, I want to get your perspective on this as well. What do you think the NFL has done to absolutely capture the hearts of America the way it has to where the NFL is a is a 52-week-a-year league, 365 days? You could talk NFL, and people are all in on that. What, what did you see in your time at ESPN, Jason, that, that caused that, that shift? Because you could say for years, and forgive me for being a little long-winded with the question, when we were growing up, it was baseball. Mm-hmm. Like it, it was it was Monday night baseball. I, I remember watching a ton of Monday night baseball games. Watching, you know, growing up being a Cincinnati Reds fan, you know, that was my team. And then the other teams just were were right behind it. But now I find myself today, I'm like, I'll talk Bengals 
all year long. We'll talk NFL all year long. What yeah. did you see in your time there? And Chris, I want I want your perspective as well. Where that shift happened to where people are just football crazy now? We were, I mean, we were kind of more baseball than football crazy. I think as kids too. I mean, as Chris got a little older and started playing football and was really good at it, I think football started to take a shift, especially as our teams got better and started to have rivalries and we were getting older into our twenties. But as little kids, I remember, especially because we played little league, um, and and our teams were pretty good and started to get better and had some good players. Baseball was probably my number one sport from. I still love the Cowboys, but from like the mid eighties until probably when Dallas finally got better again in the early nineties. So baseball was still my love too, but I saw a shift, you know, it's, it's funny you say that Brian, because when I got to ESPN 20, 21 years ago, football was, was by far the biggest sport, even when I got there and the NFL and ESPN was all invested in, into this sport of the NFL. And they also saw that they're, and I saw this over a period of a decade, their ratings were always higher when it came to talking about football. So when we did a story on Outside the Lines or on another generic show or a sports center, and it was during the football season, the ratings were always higher. And it was, you know, out of football season, quote unquote, not games being played, it was lower, but then the draft would come or free agency would come and they would go back up. And you saw, okay, this is because people are crazy about football. And then you had the internet era, you had fantasy football that really, you know, fantasy baseball was the first ever kind of fantasy thing that Chris and I ever played when we were kids, we called it rotisserie baseball. And yeah. we used to make our own fantasy leagues up, you know, that was before fantasy sports were popular, but then you get internet and fantasy sports and gambling, which they finally acknowledged as a thing uh, because it's legalized. But back then gambling was huge. I didn't ever partake in anything like that, but yeah. I just think, and the fact that every single game matters so much. Baseball, you get 162. If you get shut out 14 nothing, you turn yeah. around and you play the next day. Football, you are sulking for six days if you get shut out 45 nothing, and you are done. And it's like it can affect your attitude. I don't know. I just think that there's a giant passion um, around football because of the fact that every game means so much and because it's so hard as you can see and witness by the team that I root for, they haven't been in the Super Bowl in 25 years. It's so hard to get there that, yeah. you know, I think it means more from that perspective. What do you think, Chris? I think that I was going to actually say or go in the direction that you mentioned at the end there. I, I think there's a, there's a dynamic of there's only one, your only team only plays one time a week. Mm -hmm. um, and you, you're, you're, you can be out of it so quickly. You know what I mean? If you go on a three or four game losing streak, your season's over. Um, whereas in the other sports, you know, like I just saw with, with the Oakland uh, Athletics, they they lost their first six games. And then most recently until yesterday, they they were on a 12 game winning streak. Like, yeah. and, and, and so it's, you could turn your season around just like that. Football, that's just, you know, you're not, you're not permitted that. So I think that element is involved that certainly gets the attention of, of, of the world. But I got to be honest with you, as someone who's played and coached the game, there's something about the game itself um, that is unique. And I, I consider it to be, and I think many would agree with me, that it's the ultimate team sport. Like in baseball, you know, like uh, what was it Madison Baumgartner yesterday pitched a, a, a no-hitter, you know, a seven-inning no-hitter. Um, yeah. one, guy, one guy can just completely dominate the game. 
Um, not that he doesn't need help, you know, but he can, he can literally take over the game by himself. Um, basketball, it's similar. Uh, a Kevin Durant, a, a LeBron James, a Steph Curry. In football, um, even the greatest quarterbacks, as we saw in the Super Bowl, a Pat Mahomes, if he doesn't have an offensive line that's going to protect him, uh, he can't do what he, 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 he can, you know, he's, he's been blessed to be able to do. So it really is an, uh, it's, a, it's a team sport. It involves, you know, moving parts, various components. Guys need each other. There's a struggle. There's a toil. There's a preparation. And, and yes, there's features of that in every other sport. There's something about football, and I think that people connect with that because life is like that. And so um, that's what I would say. I would say that's why it dominates the, the landscape. Yeah, I, I love that take, Chris. And I want to I want to build a little more on that when we come back. I'm going to step aside, take a quick break. We come back, we're going to build a little more conversation around that. I am so happy to have the Romano brothers with me this morning, Chris and Jason Romano. And again, you're going to love the rest of this conversation. Come on back here on the Intentional Encourage podcast. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. Hey, Chris, I want to I want to jump on what you just said there a couple minutes ago and let's talk about the NFL this year is going to do for the first time a 17 game season you were talking about playing and and coaching the game and things like that put your coaching hat on for a minute how do you motivate guys an extra regular season game because you, you, the, the way the model has been since the 1970s since since all of us have watched football is that we're used to a 16-game season. We're used to four exhibition games. If you play in the Hall of Fame game in Canton, which is not about four hours from where I am, but if you play in the Hall of Fame game, you play that extra exhibition game. Now you've got a 17-game regular season. How do you think that is going to affect players and coaches with that extra regular season game? Well, I'll just start with the, the fan perspective. Um, we've been so conditioned to like use certain euphemisms like a team. You can't use that anymore um, because outside of somebody who has a tie, you're not going to have a team, right? Um, yeah. You know, we used to joke about the Cowboys there for during the Jason Garrett era. They were always eight and eight. Um, and, uh, you know, now a team's going to be eight and nine, you know, or nine and eight. It just seems seems very strange to be able to say that. Yeah. Um, but as far as motivating players, I think that uh, it's going to be difficult because of the the risk factor. Um, with 16 games and four preseason games, you've already seen pushback in the last several years 
uh, from players who don't want to play in the preseason, even older players who don't want to participate in OTAs or training camp and things of that nature. Um, so that is going to be a definite challenge. I think there's going to be uh, things that are built into the contracts, uh, conditions, that kind of thing. Um, whether it's resting on certain uh, peak or, you know, only devoting X amount of hours into, you know, whatever, whatever uh, team, team preparation, conditioning, um, but hey, you know, uh, NFL is a corporation and, and, and money is what rules. And so um, you're either going to be a part of it uh, or, or you're, you're going to get driven right out of it. And so as, as a coach, I think you have to pace yourself just as you do in a 16 game season. I don't think one game is going to make that much of a difference in terms of how we approach the game. Uh, in terms of schematically or strategically. But at the end of the day, um, it's just like I'm sure what took place, what was it, 1970 when they went from 12 to 16? Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a transition. Uh, it's just kind of our transition because we've had 16-game seasons, you know, most of our lives. But uh, they'll, they'll get used to it. They'll adjust. And and NFL will be fine. It's the almighty dollar, Brian, the almighty dollar. That's what it is, honestly, in my opinion, yeah. and the fan fan perspective. But the fan perspective, it still comes down to the almighty dollar. You know, so the NFL adds another game and they push everything out and they go an extra week. And now you have the Super Bowl being played the second week of February, I think, this year, like February 12th. It's later. Yeah, wow. So everything's late. pushed out. But that just adds another week of excitement that the NFL can make more money off of. And I'm not saying that in a bad way because I'm a fan and I want that. Yeah. But I know a lot of the players and um, they're not really excited. I mean, they don't get, I don't think they get paid more money. It just spreads out longer. So if you have a $10 million contract, you still get 10 million. It just, you get it over 17 games. Versus I think that, I think that's the case right now, but certainly in the next collective bargaining agreement, I'm sure they'll negotiate that. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Well, because, guys, here's the know. thing. Where, where do you, where do you stop? You, you go to 17 games and, and, and Chris, I love where you, where you took us to there with, when the NFL, and I was reminded when OJ Simpson broke the rushing record, broke the 2000 yards in 1973, there was a lot of angst about that because they said, well, you know, uh, the record was set in a 14-game in a season, and now O.J.'s got a 16-game season. Kind of like the Roger Maris argument back in 61 yeah. when, yeah. when Maris broke Babe Ruth's record, and they said, well, if he doesn't do it in 154 games, it's not going to count, and we're going to put an asterisk by it because it took him eight more games. Look, it's not Roger Maris's fault that baseball expanded to 162 games. It's not, he was playing within the regular season that he was in. It's not OJ's fault that he played in a, in a four, you know, a 16 game schedule. And, and Jim Brown's record was, was in a 14 game schedule, but here's where I want to, and Chris, I'm glad you took us there. So now where do we go from here? Because to your point, the fans are going to drive this bus. And if you tell people, if you ask people, do you want more football? The three of us on this call are going to say, absolutely, we want more football. Do you go to an 18? You know, I was just kind of curious why they stopped yeah. at 17 and not go yeah. to 18 and take the two exhibition games off. Just give us a nice, clean number because you're right. You know, the eight and eight, you're like, oh, yeah, you know, eight and eight. Well, now it's. You know, now now you're gonna have teams that finish eight and nine, 
You know, so and, strange. And, yeah, and it's going to be like, well, it's a losing record. You would almost be better off from a record perspective tying a game and go, yeah, we went 8-8-1. Eight, eight, so you don't have a losing record. You don't have a winning record. You know, it's it, it's just going to be strange. I, I'm just kind of curious why they went to 17 and not just yeah, going I, to 18. I don't know that there was a real method to that madness except just to add another game uh, because, again, the revenue that they that they bring in is so astronomical. I, you know, I got to make a point, though, because as a fan, um, whether it's 16 or 17 really doesn't affect me as much. I mean, another week of watching regular season football is, is great, you know, in one sense. But I enjoy the offseason in some cases just as much as I enjoy the season. Now, I there's nothing yeah. that replaces a Sunday afternoon, 1 o'clock game, you know, watching the Eagles play the, play the, the Giants or the Cowboys. I mean, I love that. Um, there's there's a euphoric high about it, you know, the, the the lead up to it in the morning, you know, the aftermath discussing the game. But the offseason has become just as enjoyable uh, because especially for a team like where the Eagles sit right now, where they're not good, you know, they're probably not going to be good. But it's the chess pieces that are moving in the offseason of cutting this guy, signing this guy in free agency, you know, making a trade for this, um, you know, drafting this prospect or firing this coach, hiring this coach, bringing this offensive coordinator, all these facets of the offseason game that are, again, I mean, keep my attention, whether it's on the Eagles app, uh, the official NFL app of the Eagles, or whether it's Bleacher Report or ESPN. So I don't know that they had to add a game to conjure up interest, except for the fact that they just bring in so much money for that one extra game. Yeah, Jason. Think, yeah, go, Jason. Yeah, I was, was going to say, I, I agree from a fan's perspective. I want to go back to what you just said for a second, Brian. The records. Um, I re- I don't. I wasn't old enough to remember. I think it was seventy seventy seven. The ca- the year the Cowboys won the Super Bowl, they were twelve and two. The next year, they were in the Super Bowl against the Steelers and lost. They were twelve and four. So that was, I think, seventy eight okay. was the year. And they okay. only and they jumped from twelve to, or I'm sorry, from fourteen to sixteen games. Yeah. And so you saw the records change, right? And so OJ's you know, rushing record stood until I think Eric Dickerson broke it in 84, 2158, I think was what he got, something like that. So, and then people said, okay, well, he broke it by 145 yards. So it's legit, but he also did it in 16 games. Now you add 17, I think you're going to see a lot of records broke. uh, There's no question. Be broken. And then then we're going to say, oh, look, he broke this record. I'm like, well, he got an extra game. I mean, if you have, Drew Brees could have thrown for 6,000 6, yards potentially with an extra game or, or Peyton Manning, um, I think once threw for like 5,500 yards or whatever. They, you give him an extra game, of course those, you're going to potentially see somebody throw for 6,000 yards in a season now. Somebody might rush for 2,200 yards in the NFL because there's an extra game. It may not happen or 2,000 yeah, yards. So how do, you, how do you gauge those as records? I agree with you, but I also think that you're going to see, maybe not in, immediately, but I think there's going to be a pacing where guys will sit games, whether it's earlier in the season True. or. Yeah. So, and I'm talking about like uh, just to preserve their body or so let's say a team is, you know, you know, 14 and two or something like that, or 13 and three, and they're going to, they're not going to play that last game. So they're going to, which a lot of even happens now where guys sit out the last game of the year and potentially could be a record breaker. So 
I think I think in the in the initial part of this transition, I think you're going to see record break, especially because the NFL is different now anyway. It's so offense uh, driven. Yeah. Um, well, Chris, I love what you said there, and Jason, I want to come to you on this because you're talking about the impact of records, mm-hmm. and it reminds me a lot of times. And, and again, I'll go back to your days at ESPN. When a guy is going after a record, a lot of times, and it used to be this way, that if there was programming going on, they would break into that programming to to see the guy get the record. And I think fans love that. Fans love it. I love what you guys were talking about there about the the impact of records because, yeah, let's say a guy is is going for 6,000 yards passing. Let's say Tom Brady's regular season touch is either Brady or Manning. I think Manning holds that now. But let's say a guy is getting ready to throw touchdown pass number 60 in a season. And I don't think that's far-fetched. I mean, we've seen yeah, no, 50. I don't we've seen 6,000. We, we've seen 5,000 yards and 50 touchdowns. I think, to your, to your guys' point, 6,000 yards passing and 60 touchdowns is right there on the threshold. Is that going to affect how games are now flexed? So the NFL does a flexing, as you guys know, they flex games. So let's say, wishful thinking, let's say Joe Burrow has got 57 touchdown passes in the season. (laughs) And let's say the Bengals' last regular season game is against the Browns, and Burrow is on the cusp of throwing for 60 touchdowns in the season. Does the NFL flex that game to a Sunday night game so that the fans can see a guy break a passing record? Or let's say, for instance, let's say, um, well, again, I, I don't know who Philadelphia's backs are or Dallas's back, but I'll use Joe Mixon. Let's say Joe Mixon is on the cusp of breaking the single-season rushing record. Now does the NFL flip itself and say, okay, we need to put the Bengals on Monday night to accommodate this record? You guys have brought us to a fascinating place, and I appreciate that because – now the possibilities are infinite, what you can do. And I think you saw this year, the NFL is the ultimate made-for-TV sport. They were playing in front of empty stadiums, and nobody knew it because the game on the field was just there, Yeah, and it was so good. Where do you think – Here's a, both of you guys jump in on this. Where do we go from here with the NFL experience? Do we go to 18 games? Do we go to 20 games? Where do you think the NFL goes with with their schedule? Chris, go ahead. I think it's just going to go international. I think they've been moving in the direction of playing in Europe, playing in London, playing in Mexico. Uh, I think where the game is going to go is, is, is international. Um, and I think that's where Goodell and I think that's where the powers that be want it to go. It already is an international sport. Um, you know, I've actually traveled overseas wearing some Eagle gear and you can see people respond to it like they know. Um, and, and so, uh, and I'm talking like even third world uh, places. So it's, 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 a global, it's a global reality that I think that if anything, um, you know, as much as being made about going to 17 games, I, again, I, I personally don't think it's that big a deal. Um, but where it's going is is going to be that and how they merge the international whether it's just playing in stadiums internationally or eventually getting international uh team um you know i don't i don't know about that but i think that's definitely where it's going 
I think, yeah, I, I, I agree. And I think there's no way they'll ever go to 20 games. Like I, and to me, I, I shouldn't say no way because you never say never, but it just feels 20, 20 games feels way too much, you know? And I, these guys are, are really hurting after 16 games. I yeah. think the most you could see going is 18 with two bye weeks and two exhibition games. I think that's probably the most, if you go anywhere further, that's where you would go. And I think that would, if you get there, that's that's going to be what it's going to be like for the next 40 years or whatever. Um, Jay, I Jay, I got a question for you. Yeah. I got a question for you. Do you think that they'll ever merge the conferences or like whether it's like, say, a tournament type deal at the end? Uh, or do you think they'll maintain the fidelity of the conference? Wow, I haven't thought about that. I mean, that's it's, a great question, Chris. I mean, the conferences have been around for 50 years. 1970, I think, was the first year of the merger. And they've done it for 50 years. So I have a hard time believing. Plus, if you do that, Chris, it takes away from you and I, you know, going at it every year with our two teams. It takes away rivalries. It takes away divisions. I, if you're going to merge it as a tournament, um, you got they're going to have to do a, a better job on keeping those rivalries as rivalries. Um, yeah. keeping the divisions aligned, I think. Um, I don't think they'd ever do that. But that's, again, thinking outside the box, I'm sure somebody's I, yeah, in the room. I, well, Chris, crazy. you bring up a great point because the 17th game of the schedule this year yeah. is, a, is a game outside out of, of your out, conference. Yeah. yeah. Out of, so, so, so the Bengals will play the 49ers in Cincinnati for the 17th game. Yeah, Dallas Cleveland, plays New England, I think. And yeah. And the Eagles play. Yeah. They yeah. play the Jets. The Jets. Yeah. Life, so, so what they've done is they've said, okay, um, your 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 division is not scheduled to play this division as a whole, but we're going to sprinkle this one in for the seventeenth game, and make it you know making it because the Bengals are supposed to play the NFC Central this year, so they've got the Packers, the Bears, the Vikings, and the Lions this year, and then you get the 49ers sprinkled in there as as an as an extra game. But here's something interesting. I, I want to pivot here for just a second yeah. before we take a break. Mm -hmm. I want to pivot here for just a second. Jason, you were talking about the almighty dollar, and I love what you said there because it, it's absolutely correct. Why do you think there's been such reticence in the college game, as big as college football is, to follow the NFL model? Because, you know, there were there was angst about putting a playoff system in. And we've seen that the playoff system works beautifully. Now, and there was angst to go to four teams. Now there's talk about going to eight teams. And I grew up, Marshall, the school that I went to, before they went Division One, they were a 1AA program. And 1AA beautifully has a playoff system. I mean, they have a 1 through 16 playoff system that's beautiful. And it works out so well. Why do you think college football has been so reticent to go to, the, to a, a playoff system like that when there's so much money available for content there in the college game? I think the NFL was always afraid of um, bucking the system, of messing with what was what they perceived was working, and the sort of quote-unquote purity of the game, you know, the amateur sports that is. But the I think we've known now over the last few years, it's been this way forever. We just maybe weren't paying close enough attention that it's a big business, a gigantic business, especially when you saw what happened with the Final Four in 2020 and how much money they lost losing that NCAA tournament. Um, and it was like in the 
almost in the billion number, but it was in the largely high millions of numbers that they lost. And you saw, oh my gosh, it's about, it is about the almighty dollar in college too. Let, let, let's not, let's not kid ourselves here. Um, I think it's a purity of the game type of thing. You know, it's amateur is, you know, keeping the amateur amateurs, but I think they've realized where they're going from, where they're going now. And it's, they're still reluctant on a lot of different things. I mean, just follow Jay Billis on Twitter and you'll see what he's talking about as far as the NCAA just not fully grasping. I what, love Jay Billis on works. Twitter. <laughs> I love Jay because he yeah, brings right. up such incredibly right. good points, Jason, because, you know, let's not kid ourselves. College athletics, you talk about a big business. I mean, the NCAA tournament itself, you could put that against it. And I don't know what the, the, the NFL revenue numbers are, and it probably still dwarfs it. But I would argue that, that their revenues just for the NCAA tournament would, near, would almost rival what baseball takes in. Brian, it's, just go yeah. to go to take a trip to Tuscaloosa, Alabama, which I just happened to do a couple of months ago. I was I was down in, in Tuscaloosa speaking to a, a group of young people, and I got to tour Tuscaloosa a little bit. The guys that were with me were Alabama grads who had either played uh, at Alabama or had been there for 30, 40 years. One guy was a, a historian who I was a friend who I was friends with, and he took me around. And if you don't see when you take a trip around Alabama's campus, that there's a very large amount of money that's, that's, you know, been handed to them because of their success, obviously. And I'm sure because of boosters and people who are, I mean, it is, it's a business. Let's just be honest. I mean, it's a college atmosphere too. And kids are learning well, also, and going to college, also, but yeah. It's what also, say, Chris? Well, sure. You broke up there. Say it again. Um, well, Jason, to your point, and, and we'll get Chris in, we'll get Chris back in. Um, yeah. Yeah. In part, I said that it's a, it's a, as, as much as it is. A, well, yeah. It, it, yeah. And, and money and money. Yeah. You were breaking I, up, yeah. Chris. I'm sorry. And, okay. and, and Chris, we'll, uh, we'll jump back to you in just a second. Jason, you, your point is so well made because again, for years, and, and again, I went to Marshall, a mid-major program, but Four years ago or five years ago now, they built a practice facility next to the stadium because that's what you have to do now, even as a mid-major, to compete with the Alabamas and the West Brian, Virginia. listen to yeah. this. When I was in Tuscaloosa, he was taking me around, you know, giving me the tour, and I said, what's that? That was a It was a football field that we, we drove by, you know, Bryant-Denny Stadium, I think is what it's called, the big stadium where Alabama plays and saw that. And then we're just driving around campus and I saw another kind of what looked like a practice field. And I said, is that where the team practices? He goes, he just laughed at me. He goes, no, that's for the band. And I said, what do you mean for the band? He's like, they built probably a couple hundred thousand dollars worth of a full football field with goalposts and lines drawn on it and everything for the band to practice on because the band needs to be good. And the band needs to wow. be top notch. So they invested hundreds of thousands of dollars to build a football field that isn't even being used to play football on. That's how much money Alabama has. And yes, they do that because they have to compete. You're right. You have to have the facilities to be able to compete, but it is, it's a religion. It's, it's a, it's, it's huge from the money perspective. And listen, there's a, there's something about, that's why 
kids are, I mean, we're going through this right now with my daughter. Chris is going through it with his son, Caleb. College is expensive. And why is it expensive? Well, it's expensive, not just because you're getting the education and that's what you're paying for. You're paying for, in many cases, for these colleges, the experience to say that you go to X, Y, or Z school. And that's, in, and they have the ability to put in Chick-fil-A's and put in these unbelievable dining halls and to put in all these resources and the dorm rooms are better than the house I live in. Like they're, they're able to put all that in because they charge the money because the kids pay for the experience. So it's, I hate to say this, it comes back to the money though. It's a money situation. Uh, it's a business and they're also nonprofit by the way. So they yeah. get a lot of tax exemption, exemptions in college. They have a lot of extra money lying around to put into these areas uh to build around like alabama has done well, you boys both have my cell phone numbers having a son already in college you boys both have my cell number so you can call me when you start getting a little weepy when your kids go to college brian and unless you, you can bill. give me unless you can pay for my kids college <laughs> that's the only thing i'm looking can't at even right pay for my own kids college <laughs> let alone yours Chris has got a little ace in the hole because his son's a pretty good football player and yeah. we're hoping scholarship well yeah i told chris hard. i said listen i said send his tape to coach charles huff at marshall let's get him yeah. let's get him <laughs> let's get he, he'll compete with a kid named cole pennington i don't know if that last name rings a bell to of you, course but, yeah i heard that I heard yeah, that, he, yeah. He, he probably will compete there but jay listen i, I want to park there for just a minute we'll step aside and take our last break but you, you're exactly right money drives everything in college athletics by the way, Alabama coached by West Virginia native Nick Saban from about three hours from here, a little bit north of here. There but you, 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 you see, and again, I've seen that I, when, when I was a student at Marshall back in the early 90s is when they built the, the football stadium. They built a 35, 36,000 seat stadium. Everybody was just kind of losing their minds like, oh, my gosh, how are we going to fill this thing? And now it's the luxury boxes. Now it's the the practice facility. I mean, for years, people were like, well, we can't compete unless we have a practice facility, an indoor practice facility. That's what everybody wants now is an indoor. And, and, and so, and then we talk about Clemson, Cle the facility that Clemson has got, what a 60 or $70 million football only facility. Well, let's be clear, Brian, too. I mean, you still have to win. And Chris, I know you'll say this too. You have to have, Oh, well, that's what I was going to say, yeah. Yeah, you have to have good coaches and good recruiters and good players. Marshall gets put on the map because they get Chad Pennington and Randy Moss, right? And so they're put on the map, and suddenly they can go Vinnie down. Curry. And who else, Chris? Vinny Curry. Vinny Curry, right? Absolutely. The there you go. And Byron left, which the offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl champion Tampa Bay Buccaneers. So you see where I'm going here. Yeah. So you also need like personnel, but you got to win. And in order, Clemson doesn't build that facility if they don't have the success that they have with Dabo and with those teams being in college football playoffs every year and winning championships. They need you need to have success because some of these other schools that haven't been good for many years. You know, you're not getting the right recruits. You're making poor decisions with coaching or whatever. And then you don't have the money to build into this or that. And so, yeah, it comes down to the money, but you also have to be pretty successful too, right, Chris? Well, everything in economics is what kind of return am I going to get on my investment? 
So the investments made with the thought of the dividend is going to be worth my while. You don't invest in something that you don't believe is valuable. So that's really the, the name of the game. And no matter if it's college sports or professional sports or even high school sports, I could tell you stories about high schools that have booster booster clubs as well. Yeah. Is the the investment is dependent upon what they what someone or, or or some entity believes the dividend's going to be worth it. Like you guys were talking about Alabama there for a while. The dividend has been astronomical. Um, and of course, it's not just the product on the field. They give back. You know, when they become professional athletes um, or they become successful businessmen or they become, you know, whatever they become, they 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 pour back into what the, the original investment. And Absolutely. so that's really how it's played. Well, you mentioned Vinnie Curry. The weight room at Marshall University is the Vinnie Curry weight room. He donated the money for the weight room at Marshall, and so it bears his name now. And and Vinnie Curry was a guy, yeah, Vinnie Curry was a guy, Chris, that wasn't highly recruited. Marshall went to New Jersey and found him. He came to Marshall and became a, a second-round draft pick of the Philadelphia Eagles and has done incredibly well. Let's step aside, take a quick break. I want to pivot, and I want to talk about something that is that is vitally important to all three of us, and that's faith. And I want to go here. Chris and Jason are, are both in ministry roles. And so let's talk. I want to pivot here and talk about the importance of faith. We talked a bunch about sports, but you're really going to miss it if you don't understand who the three of us are and, and who's really at the core of, of what we are and who we are. I'm talking the incredible privilege of having Chris and Jason Romano join me this morning here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in just a moment. Dividend has been astronomical. Um, and of course, it's not just the product on the field. They give back. You know, when they become professional athletes um, or they become successful businessmen or they become, you know, whatever they become, they, they, they pour back into what the, the original investment. And Absolutely. so that's really how it's played. Well, you mentioned Vinnie Curry. The weight room at Marshall University is the Vinnie Curry weight room. He donated the money for the weight room at Marshall, and so it bears his name now. And and Vinnie Curry was a guy, yeah, Vinnie Curry was a guy, Chris, that wasn't highly recruited. Marshall went to New Jersey and found him. He came to Marshall and became a, a second-round draft pick of the Philadelphia Eagles and has done incredibly well. Let's step aside, take a quick break. I want to pivot, and I want to talk about something that's, that is vitally important to all three of us, and that's faith. And I want to go here. Chris and Jason are, are both in ministry roles. And so let's talk. I want to pivot here and talk about the importance of faith. We talked a bunch about sports, but you're really going to miss it if you don't understand who the three of us are and, and who's really at the core of, of what we are and who we are. I'm talking the incredible privilege of having Chris and Jason Romano join me this morning here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back in just a moment. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton. want to tell you about my new book, People Buy From People, 10 Powerful People Lessons from the Ultimate People Person, my dad. My dad was one of the greatest connectors that I ever knew, and he shared with me 10 connecting principles that I have used throughout my 25-year sales and sales management, customer engagement, and leadership career that I'm passing along to you. If you want to be a stronger 
deeper and more powerful connector, you've got to pick up a copy of People Buy From People. There are concepts in there that you may not realize help make you a power connector. You can go to Amazon and pick it up, Kindle if you're an e-reader and you like to do it that way, or now available on Audible. And there's one other way you can get a copy of People Buy From People. You can get one from me and I'll sign it for you. You go to intentionalmediaandpublishing at gmail.com and send me an email and I'll share with you the link on how you can get a signed copy. You can buy a signed copy directly from me. Again, people buy from people. If you want to connect like never before, pick up your copy today of People Buy From People. And now let's get back to more great conversation here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Back here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. And I, I want to pivot now to faith and the importance of faith. Chris, I want to start with you. We talked about it when you were on the Intentional Encourager podcast about the impact. You said something about the consecration that happened in your home around the pandemic and things like that. Mm -hmm. Let's fast forward now. We're starting to see some things lift. Um, Jason, I loved your post over the weekend on social media about let's get back to church. I'm a hundred percent on board with that because again, yeah. uh, the Bible tells us not to, to forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's vital that we come together. Chris, I want to start here as a pastor. What are you starting to see now in 2021? Are you starting to see some, some uh, hangover effect, if you will, from the, from the pandemic? I want to talk about the importance of faith and, 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 and keeping that momentum going. I, and I apologize if I'm going in a couple of different directions with the question, but I think you know where I'm going with the question there. Talk about what you've seen so far this year around people and their faith and returning to a church setting. Yeah. So I've seen two groups of people. Um, I've seen one group that are extremely hungry uh, for what I would describe as the quote unquote more. They want more. Um, and that's more of God, more of his presence, more of his word, more times of prayer, uh, more times of fellowship, more times of getting together, not enough small groups, uh, you know, satisfy, not enough meeting, meeting times satisfy. So there's that, that there's that group that uh, I think is been motivated by the lack of in 2020. And then there's the other group that I think has grown just extremely comfortable and complacent in some cases as well, but comfortable with what um, the, the door opened to in 2020, which was, of course, you can do church now uh, in, in your living room. You can do church in your pajamas. You can do church with just your family, your cup of coffee, um, you know, your, your scrambled eggs and bacon. And, uh, you know, and you could accomplish what you want to get accomplished on a Sunday morning without leaving your home and without really, um, you know, creating a lot of inconveniences in, 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 in somebody's schedule. So, and I've seen that, we've seen that both in our local church context, but I've also seen it because I'm connected to a lot of other local churches. I've seen it uh, pretty much as a, on a broad spectrum as well. You got those two groups and they're tough to navigate because as a pastor, my job is to pastor everybody. Um, and at the same time, I believe I'm only called to disciple, you know, a few and, and there's a, there's a line there, a very thin line there that we probably don't have time to get into at this point. But, uh, I think to the point, I think you're seeing these two groups have emerged in 2021. 
Jason, I want to go here what Chris was saying and 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 your you know your long time work in media. It almost feels like at times, and, and forgive me for saying this, but Chris, you sparked that in inside of me that and I love what you said there about we've almost taken church and made it an on-demand event, almost like a movie, if you will, or a sporting event where we go, okay, great. It's time for church. Let's sit down with some scrambled eggs and coffee. And, you know, it's almost like a television program. Jason, how do we avoid overproducing church services to make it feel like it's just another television program and not an experience? Because I know for myself and my family, when we're in church together, and we're, we're with the music's playing, we're, we're in the presence of the Lord. It's a special time. We set aside that time to go to the house of the Lord. I hope I'm asking the question correctly, but I think you're the right person to ask this expertise. How do we keep ourselves from producing out the presence of the Lord in, in, in a Zoom? Because a lot of people still don't, forgive me for being long-winded, but a lot of people still don't feel comfortable being in large groups of people and things like that. Yep. How do we keep how do we keep the authenticity of a church service over an internet platform or things like that? It's it's very difficult. Um, I, initially, you were asking about overproducing, and I think yeah. there's there's a line to that because. You always want to, whatever you do, do it heartily and do it well. You know, that's the Colossians will, will Paul talking in there will tell you, you know, we want to be excellent at what we do. Um, we want to do it all for God, not for man, but we want to be excellent at, at our, at anything that we put our minds to and work to, towards, right? To honor him. So you want to put an excellent presentation out if you're going to be online. And there were some that weren't there, some that were there. I remember having conversations with Chris and his church about trying to put an excellent presentation out. What is, what is the way to do that? Because at that point, that's what only the only way we were able to experience church. And I, I was talking to a lot of people about imagining if this pandemic hit us in the nineties before the internet happened. Yeah. Uh, what would, I wonder what it would have been like, like we, we just have, would churches have, I mean, a lot of churches did die from, from the pandemic and, and, you know, disintegrate, but would that have been the case because there, or would people have just rebelled and like, we're going to church. Um, sorry. You know, even though everything was closed, like if this had happened at a time when technology wasn't in the forefront, like it is now, what would we have done? Would we have just watched Billy Graham on TV uh, and that, and call that our church service in the nineties. Right. So I don't know. I will say this. There is nothing that can replicate the experience of encountering Christ in worship and through you know, preaching and through his word and through fellowship than going to your local church in person and being around other believers. There is nothing that can replicate that. We tried, like Chris said, some people became very comfortable, but I'll just be, I'll speak from my own experience. Sitting there watching church, the message was good. You know, it was, it was, I would always still have my notebook and take notes and, and try to pay attention to the sermon and learn and kind of but it's just, I could not worship from home. That was just me. Um, I know other people can, but I bet you a majority had the same experience as I did where you're not around yeah. other people and you're not able to enter into the presence of God with, with worship the same way when you're watching uh, worship on TV. I, 
Can I interject there for a minute? Please. Yeah, yeah. I, yeah. I just think that it's so important because the reason why it's the experience can't be duplicated is because it contradicts the essence of who we are as Christians. When we receive the life of Christ, Christ is 100% relational. And so as part of the Godhead, the Godhead, God is relational. He's Father, Son, Spirit. And so when we receive his life, we receive that, that reality. We are relational beings made in his image. And so um, we, can't, we can't function as, as the body of Christ without relating to one another, without touching one another, without communicating, without networking, without connecting. We, we, there's, we just, it's, it's antithetical to who we are as believers. And so there's a large gap that will exist. There's a barrenness that, that, that takes place when we are not in fellowship, just like in, you know, the, the early church, they, they made that their priority, not so much because it was a task to complete, but because it was who they were. It was part of their, their makeup as, as Christians. No, Chris, I love what you said there. And, 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 and there is an energy about being together and worshiping the same God together and being in one mind, as the Bible talked about being in one mind and one accord. And, and, and I'll share this with you as a keyboard player in my church. It's I feed off of that energy. Like when, when I put my hands on the keyboard and we go, I'm all in my, and my wife, my wife will tell you is like, I, I don't see him that focused all the time. Well, Brian, you know the, the hidden talent of Mr. Chris Romano, Dr. Chris Romano, is that he plays the drums in his church in his worship band. He's he's rocking star like I love the drums. So <laughs> I love it, man. Well, and again, there is there is nothing like there is nothing like going into a church service and just being. And I grew up Pentecostal. So that's all I've ever known is, is high energy and high music and, and things like that. From the time I was a little kid, that's all I was around. And so it would be very hard for me to step into another setting that wasn't like that because I'm, I'm just, that's the way I'm wired. And so I, Jason, I love your point about worshiping from home because I felt the same way at times. Yeah. It's just kind of like, man, I'm in my jeans and I've got a pullover on or something like that. I mean, it's like, I, I just, I don't like watching church just because I want to be there. You know, I want to be in that moment with my brothers and sisters and think, Chris, I got to ask you this. This made me think about it. How different is it preaching to a camera? Oh <laughs> I mean, I want to, I want to go, I want to, let's go there for just, because Jason does, Jason and I do podcasts. I mean, you're talking one-on-one to people. You, you get in that comfort zone. How, com- how, how was it for you transitioning to preaching to a camera and maybe three or four people there at your church that are there for, for, to produce that so you can broadcast online? It was, it was the most frustrating experience. Um, now, I've been a public speaker my whole, my whole adult life, um, from the time I was 19 years old. So I can wing it. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm fairly good at it. Um, but the reality is, again, there's, there's a, there's a difference between speaking publicly and preaching the unadulterated 
word of God, um, and, and making, making a connection with people. Um, there's just such a difference. And, you know, you talked about the energy that's produced in like a worship setting. Um, it's the same way when you're preaching to hundreds of people. And so when those hundreds of people are displaced and you're speaking to a camera, um, a lot of, you, I think you take, I took for granted a, a lot of what was accumulated or what was produced because people were there, um, even just small connecting points or seeing faces uh, in the crowd that would bring up something, uh, that would remind you of something, it would add to what you were saying, really layer it. Um, and then there's just the reality, and I don't know if everybody in your audience uh, subscribes to this, but I, I do wholeheartedly, there's a corporate anointing. There's a corporate anointing that takes place when two or more are gathered, Christ is there in the midst. And so when it's just you, when it's just a camera, that's lacking. And there's something that that is, um, you know, there's just something that is missed in, in, that, in that experience. Yeah, Jason, you've got something to say there. I know you've got something to add there because your church had a similar situation to Chris's and, and, mm -hmm. um, what was that experience? And, and, and were you a part of the, the, the team that was producing those services or were you and your family just, just being a part of it? Like everyone else was at home. Well, I'm an elder on, on the board at my church. So I was very involved in the decision-making process of staying open. Should we close? What do we do if we close all of that? And then what's the, what's the presentation look like? I mean, we had a couple of services, I think it was in early May last year, where our online product broke or the internet went down or the Wi-Fi broke. And that was the only way to have church. And, you know, you're gaining momentum. And initially you saw thousands of people. We had, I think we had like 2,800 views of our Easter service online. That's way, you know, there's a lot of positivity in that. That's a lot of people tuning in to hear about Christ. So yeah. there's a lot to be happy for in that, especially when everything was shut down anyway. So you really couldn't have church. Once we were able to get into May and we saw some of our internet issues and things like that, the numbers started dwindling and you could sense there was online church fatigue. There just was. And, and people wanted to get back. And by June, I know Chris's church did, we were able to get back in person. It was different. We were social distance. People had to sign up. There was mass. There was all of these sort of, um, regulations that we were trying to follow and protocols that we were trying to follow. And we didn't know as much then as we do now. Um, you know, we're, we were using hand sanitizer like it was going out of style. Now we're hearing that, you know, it's pretty hard to catch coronavirus through, you yeah. know, your, your hands transmitted through handshaking and things like that. But we were taking all the precautions we could. It's still, even to this day, as we record this in the, you know, early spring, we still are not back to where we were pre-COVID and it's going to take a while for a couple of reasons. One, we're still following protocols. Hopefully by we get into May and June, I think things are really going to start to go back to, you know, hopefully pre-COVID, somewhat pre-COVID measures as far as being able to just gather together. But there's, although this is my biggest concern, Brian, is the drift. And I preached on this. Um, in 2019, ironically, the slow drift or the slow fade, as the song by Casting Crowns goes, that so many of us can fall a prey to. And yeah. I think I've seen this 
more in 2020 and into 2021 than I've ever seen. And that's my biggest concern because you want to, you want to stay connected with people. You want to kind of encourage them. Hey, we haven't seen you in a while. Are you doing okay? Can we hang yeah. out? Do you want to come back to church? And some people just are drifted far enough to where they don't even have an issue with missing church or not coming back, but they are fine going everywhere else. And that to me is a huge, huge concern. Well, and we, we had our church, I'll say this real quick and we'll, then we'll pivot to our last point, but our church, we had 32 members of our church that had COVID. We had several hospitalized. And so, and, and, and I don't mind saying it now because we're, we're far enough removed from it, but our church made national news. We, we, we were on that and, and Jay, I was, I texted with you and said, Hey, pray for our church. And I texted with several people, friends of mine across the country that I knew that were in leadership positions. I texted my buddy, Al Robertson down in, down in Louisiana and said, Hey, pray for our church because we were fighting a a good number, probably 10% of our church that had, that had tested positive for COVID. We had to totally shut down for almost a month with yep. no services at all. A buddy of mine's church yeah. up here, Brian, half their church, and I'm not kidding, it's yeah. over 100 people, half their church got COVID. Yeah. And um, it's different today, I think, than it was in 2020 when that happens. You know the, the protocols and the procedures and you follow yeah. through, but it's still, you know, a real, it's a real thing. Um, hopefully with the vaccinations or just with, you know, herd immunity and things like that, we're going to be yeah. in a better spot, you know, and get back to where we were. Let's wrap up this conversation here. I've got one more question. Man, this has been so good. So, so good. Chris, what's the one thing that you will take? What lesson will you take from your experience around pastoring through a pandemic? And Jason, I I ask you the same question. But Chris, I want to start with you. What's the one thing that you will take a lesson you've learned from the pandemic? I think uh, adaptability. You know, um, recognizing that things are going to change and we all sort of resist change. Um, you know, as people, we like the norms of our lives. Uh, we like to kind of keep to the, uh, to the script, so to speak. And so when we have these interruptions, whether they're from the outside or from the inside, um, I, I think it, it requires us as people to, to recognize that if we don't, if we don't become, or at least we don't continue to work on becoming adaptable, um, then you're really going to create um, more problems and you're not going to be as effective as, as you could be. And so, I mean, that's, that, that was the major takeaway for me walking through 2020 and walking through all the different changes that took place um, was I had to be as a leader I had, I had to become adaptable so that I could be positioned in a way that could help other people who maybe weren't as willing to become adaptable um, because that's what leaders do. We, we have to make those sacrifices, even if we don't like, um, you know, what that's going to end up looking like. We have to make those sacrifices for the sake of serving other people. And so that's been a continual theme, as both of you know. As I've moved into 2021, and a lot of a lot of changes are on the horizon for me and for my family, and now for our church as a result of it, um, it's still maintaining that flexibility, uh, that um, childlikeness, so that I 
you know, abide in him and listen to his voice and ultimately follow his lead in his direction where he's taking us and taking me. So, yeah, I think that would be um, the answer to your question. Yeah, go yeah. ahead, Jason. Yeah, Brian, ahead. The, the word that was coming to my mind was opportunity. And uh, that's piggybacks off of what Chris just said, which I think is adaptability is a big one. I mean, it shows how out of, uh, in, in, in a, you know, you know, a, a snap of the finger is just like, you know, Thanos and in, in Endgame, yeah, everything can change, right? And when you think about um, 2020, I remember th praying through and, and thinking through, especially talking to Chris and, and others, like what an opportunity for the church, what an opportunity to yeah. stand for Christ in the midst of uh, what I feel was like a giant... Um, I don't know what the word right word is, but I, there was a large amount of fear that was, that was being sold and that people yeah. were buying, unfortunately. And listen, I got caught up in some of that too. Um, and I just thought what a great opportunity for the church to stand up and to show in a positive way, how, how God can really be glorified in the midst of a storm, you know, or, you know, everybody that I've talked to, a lot of the athletes that I've talked to have referred to James, James one, you know, can consider it joy when you face trials of many kind. And um, it's, a, it's a little, it's becoming a little bit cliche, unfortunately. And I have to read through that whole scripture again, because too many people are using it just for that. But I think there's some truth to that yeah. in the sense that and that's where, that's where Dr. Romano comes in with the PhD. <laughs> to help me on my scripture reading, but I will say the opportunity to, to glorify God in whatever it is. So for us, like in the work I do with sports spectrum, there was opportunity to bring more people on and talk about Jesus. There was opportunity to have yeah. more conversations outside of um, just the normal conversations with regards to race and culture and faith and kind of looking through all that was taking place in the summer last year with regards to the racial divide, but through the lens of the gospel. Right, so there was opportunity to see what justice was was like through through what the scriptures had to say and through the life that Jesus lived, and so there was a lot of opportunity here, um, and there was an opportunity to educate ourselves, and there was an opportunity to to really jump towards unity. Um, unfortunately, a lot of people failed in that regard too, and we ended up in many cases being more divisive than ever. But I think the church had an opportunity. I think we can look back and say, did we do it perfectly? No way. Um, yeah. We messed up a lot, especially those who proclaim to be people of faith, um, you know, weren't very, weren't living very Christ-like lives in a lot of cases or, or demonstrating Christ-like uh, attitudes or um, in the way that they were posting on social media or whatever. Uh, we all screwed up in that regards on some level. But I think when I look back and I say, okay, whatever the next this is pandemic because that was a pandemic that affected everybody's world you know and chris and i will tell you we've we've had very little and we know it's coming but very little pandemic like storms that have come into our lives as our family yeah. um you know go back to my grandfather in 2007 that's the last time we've really had to do i mean we've had our stuff like chris has had his stuff last year that he's had to go through in his family you know we've had our things that we've had to walk through in our family you know in our little family but nothing really tragic pandemic like yeah. but it's going to come because we're just humans and we're going to die and we're alive right now but something's going to come and if you're not in it you're going to go through it i think what i've learned though is that i hope when the next pandemic like thing happens 
that I look at it as an opportunity to praise God. Yeah. Um, and, and not just complain or yeah. whine or even be fearful and truly live that faith out. A lot of people this year have had to put their, you know, faith has been tested. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And uh, I've talked to many of those people. And so I look at it as opportunity. I really do. Well, I think the next book you you should do, Jason, is is how to lead your disagreeable brothers when you have conflict in sporting events. Yeah, I mean, you know, maybe maybe Dr. Chris Romano could could write the forward to that. No, let you. him write the book. I don't want to write any more books. <laughs> I put my name on it with him, but he's writing the book, not me. Yeah. Well, you've yeah you you've done the heavy lifting. Tell people how they can get connected with you guys, because I know people want to connect with you. Chris, tell tell folks how they can connect with you and Jay, do the same thing. Well, I'll start because Chris looks like he might have been a little froze up there for yeah, a second. Decide, you can, Go ahead, Chris. So you can find me on Facebook, Christopher Romano, uh, Twitter, CJ Romano 21. I'm also on Instagram um, as well. And uh, you can also visit our uh, website, our college website at www.vcbcs.org. Nice. I love that. And, and for me, guys, you can just hit me up on my socials as well. I'm on Twitter and Instagram pretty frequently. And then um, two plugs. I'll, I'll plug, first of all, my books, which you mentioned, Brian. Um, and those are available on Amazon and everywhere. But really, I want to direct people to sportspectrum.com, which is the work I get to do every day, um, telling people about Jesus through sports. I get the magazine over my shoulder here. And it's just we're really proud of our ministry and continuing to work in the media space but in a unique way that nobody else is really doing to glorify God. So yeah, sportspectrum.com is the best place for that. Yeah, man, what a great conversation. And uh, guys, this has been way, I mean, I knew it was going to be great. You guys were both even better than I thought you would be. And, and uh, grateful to know you both and call you friends. Thank you for joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Thanks, Brian. Brian, thank you, buddy. My thanks as always to producer Bryce Sexton and technical advisor Matt Means. And of course, the ultimate thanks goes to the Lord Jesus Christ, who provides intentional encouragement every day through his word. If you're not subscribed to the Intentional Encourager podcast, hit the subscribe button wherever you get podcasts so you don't miss an exciting episode where you can get encouraged and stay encouraged. And remember, anyone, anywhere, at any time, any place can be an intentional encourager.